Welcome to Themis Podcasts. Themis is a leading technology platform that helps clients manage their financial crime risk exposure through a combination of innovation, insight, and intelligence. Our podcasts aim to bring you insight, views, emerging trends, and thought leadership from industry leaders and our own financial crime experts. Find out more about Themis at crime.financial. In this podcast, Dr. Viri Chauhan talks to Professor Nick Ryder, a global expert on terrorist financing, about the risks that crypto assets could bring to this topic. Nick explains how the use of crypto assets contributes to the terrorist financing typologies and provides some cases and examples of how criminals have taken advantage of technology to fulfill their goals. Nick and Viri also discuss some important developments in the war in Ukraine and how a certain country has designated Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism and the implications of this. Hello, my name is Viri Chauhan and I'm the MD for Themis Knowledge. Today's podcast is going to be on terrorist finance and risks related to crypto assets with Professor Nick Ryder. This is a series of podcasts on terrorist financing. The first one was on what is terrorist financing, and the second one was on the role of ISIS and modern slavery, both available on the Themis website. So I'd like to welcome Nick, uh, Professor Nick Ryder. Hello, how are you? Hey, very nice to see you again, and thanks for inviting me back for the, for the third podcast in the series. Thank you, Nick. Well, first of all, can we start about you telling us about your work and research in the subject of terrorist <clears throat> financing and crypto assets? Yeah, more than happy to. Um, so I've been researching terrorism financing since about 2004 to 2005, and it's always been reactionary towards new terrorism financing trends and typologies. Um, so I started the paper on cryptocurrencies and terrorism financing in 2018. Um, that was then published in the Journal of Business Law in December 2020 and uh, has formed part of the um research action framework submission in 2021. So it's an evolving area, which has got a lot of traction in terms of um, media coverage, um, but also in terms of, uh, of academic scholarly work as well. Okay, so it sounds like you're at the heart of this subject. So with my first question then, you know, could you explain why is there a risk of terrorist financing associated with crypto assets? Uh, there is a risk, um, according to to my paper plus plus other work published by the financial action task force and an emerging um body of younger academics uh what we're finding is that the use of technology and terrorism is nothing particularly new um very well documented that 9-11 terrorists communicated via email messages that they were actually going to study law and that was their code word for the the terrorist attacks but in terms of the threat presented by crypto um i think there's a number of points you can make here i think that Crypto has a an interesting relationship with with the mainstream media. Um, we've seen crypto crash in the past seven days and trending on Twitter. Um, so, from an investor's perspective, you can see how it could be uh, an invitation to to make a quick a quick uh, buck, if I can phrase it that way. Its association with financial crime is a recent development that dates back just over uh, or ten years to the Silk Road and Western Union Express and, and other well documented illustrations. So, from my perspective, it was just a matter of time 
before terrorists attempted to exploit the the high levels of anonymity that uh, the dark web and Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies can provide them with. So it, it's an emerging threat. Um, I appreciate that the decided cases are now becoming into fruition. We had the, for example, the first conviction in the UK. But against that background, you've also got to weigh in the benefits of crypto, financial innovation, and also financial inclusion. So it's probably a very fascinating area in terms of the evolution of money. So how do the risks differ from traditional methods of terrorist financing? Um, I think the traditional methods of terrorism financing are, they, they vary over time. So if you go back to pre-9-11, a lot of literature, think tanks and, and government reports were, were concerned about state-sponsored terrorism and, and private donors. So what we've seen with um, the international response to 9-11 and, and what has been dubbed as the financial war on terrorism in terms of my, my 2015 book on that, um, that has has some positive impact on limiting the funding sources or typologies used by Al-Qaeda and other terrorist groups. So with terrorism financing evolving and emerging, what we've now seen are, are terrorist groups attempting to use newer and sophisticated forms of terrorism financing um, to move money, to obtain money, to, to elicit calls for funding on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and, and other forms of social media. So I think it's just that, it's like a game of cat and mouse, really, um, pardon the pun, but the terrorists will always be three, four, five steps ahead. And I was talking to an FBI agent uh, over Christmas, and they said to me, if they were simply three steps behind a terrorism financier, that's a good day. So it's just that another example of this evolution of how terrorists are financed, I think. So it's really about the financiers using new types of tools available to move illicit money. And crypto assets seems to be one of the typologies. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. In, in the, the 2020 paper, um, <clears throat> I described it as a sort of crypto assets, social media typology. So uh, you know, part of the typologies published by the Financial Action Task Force and, and others. No, I just worked on, a, for example, a fraud typology. So this, to me, would, would fall into an example of an emerging uh, threat for terrorism financing, which I don't think anybody's yet got a full, a full picture in terms of the understanding because the technology is now responding in terms of the advances by blockchain and, and the, I suppose, the relationship between the private sector and the public sector. And in terms of cybersecurity companies now playing more of a prominent role in attempting to, to address the threat presented by crypto. Yes, I, I get that in terms of the implications with cyber cybersecurity as well. So, you know, has there been any regulatory movement in this area uh, for, you know, crypto assets and terrorist financing? Yeah, uh, the, the threat was acknowledged by the Financial Action Task Force in 2019, so in, in the summer of June or July. And they, they've extended the, the remit of the um, amended recommendations at the time to include crypto asset providers. So what we've seen is an extension of um, the money laundering reporting model, uh, which includes terrorism financing as part of that, to include cryptocurrencies. So essentially what the Financial Action Task Force recommendations are now suggesting is that countries across the world adopt a, I'd argue, a long, really flawed money laundering reporting system which doesn't work for terrorism financing which now is tried to work for a, a higher form of 
online encrypted um, method of financing, which is which is provides extra levels of protection for that financial criminal. So it, it's it's far from perfect, but at least I think the financial action task force have have to be you know, applauded for incorporating crypto within its regime and they've sort of issued guidance for different countries on how, how to comply with this. Um, but I, I don't think that's the problem. The difficulty with global regulation is that you, you don't have that consensus amongst different nation states as to how they can individually regulate crypto. So the response will vary from Canada to the US to France to Bahrain, UAE, you know, Russia, Germany. So that's part of the problem. I don't think there is that consensus yet as to how this can be uh, regulated. Okay, but sounds like the FATF had made, have made a start on this and this would be a good place for firms to look at initially in terms of understanding what their approach is with crypto assets and terrorist financing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you can't sort of cast e-money and crypto as being all linked into financial crime and money laundering and terrorism finance. You know, this this is there is an evolution in terms of how people use money, raise money, how they pay for things. And, and I remember uh, reading a project about six months ago that sort of indicated the benefits of crypto from a financial inclusion perspective, where a large proportion of this country, I was in the report, were sort of what we call financially excluded and not access to basic banking services. So crypto does have an important role to play in tackling that particular global problem. But in terms of, yeah, in terms of advising firms, I think the fact that standards uh, globally would be the best uh, place. And also from their emerging typologies, just to form a key part of their, their risk-based approach towards uh, tackling financial crime. I'm just going to pause the podcast here to let you know about Themis Search and Monitoring, a tool that will enable you to easily search, screen, and monitor your clients, suppliers, and third parties to check if they have any links to financial crime. We draw data from a wealth of sources, but also have our own proprietary Themis Conviction data around different financial crime typologies, including terrorist financing, this makes Themis search and monitoring highly unique. Book a demo at crime.financial. How about the Financial Conduct Authority? How are they uh, approaching this subject on terrorist financing and crypto assets? So the, 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 as a result of the uh, implementation of the Fifth Money Laundering Directive, um, the FCA have been given the uh, difficult task of implementing a sort of <clears throat> financial crime policy, rules and regulations to, to, to regulate and to promote um, compliance with cryptocurrency providers in the UK with the, the basic money laundering, terrorism, financing reporting obligations. Um, part of the difficulty with that, of course, is that you've got a new new form of finance that the FCA are attempting to understand. They're attempting to work out what the risks are. Um, and it's interesting that the the FCA's regime, uh, based upon their evidence, uh, they they presented evidence to the HM Trout Select Committee report in 2018-2019 that identified a significant threat presented by crypto. But then that can be contrasted with the evidence in the same report provided by the National Crime Agency, where they found the threat presented was not as high. So I think it's interesting that you've got differences of opinion between the financial regulator and the National Crime Agency, which is, of course, is the UK's financial intelligence unit. So um, I just think that's an interesting difference of opinion between two very important agencies. 
and that that point brings me on to my next question really because reading around the subject some commentators actually suggest that the risk of terrorist financing related to cryptos is significantly lower than other forms of financial crime is that because it's very difficult to detect or is that just because it's a, it's a lesser risk what's your view um the evidence suggests it is a lesser risk. I don't think you can deny that. You've got um, some reported cases in, in Europe, uh, the UK and, and America. Um, so the evidence, it is emerging, um, especially with the Department of Justice and some of their prosecutions in the last three years. But that's part of the problem is that we don't really know how many terrorists are using crypto. Now, there are reports and suggestions that um, the Taliban in Afghanistan will will try to evade sanctions. I mean, it's very well documented. The Iranians have attempted to do it in North Korea. Um, and of course, we've got the ongoing issues with the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine. And will individuals um, try to sidestep or circumvent the, the sanctions regime? So um, it's difficult to accurately pinpoint what is the precise threat levels, but I think it is definitely an emerging threat. And we are now seeing more and more instances of cases of people convicted of either advising a terrorist group on how to mine Bitcoin on Twitter, for example. So it's an emerging trend, definitely. Okay. So if we can talk about cases then, can you tell us about any cases that have used crypto assets in terrorist financing? Yeah, um, one of the um, first cases was a 17-year-old student in, uh, in America who was convicted under Title three of the USA Patriot Act for providing material support to ISIS. A 17-year-old student, sadly, who was attempting to advise um, ISIS sympathizers on Twitter on how to mine Bitcoin. Um, convict, convicted and sentenced to over 11 years imprisonment. Um, an interesting case in America was a lady called Zubia Shanaz, um, who was arrested in 2020 on bank fraud charges. And the reports vary, some say $26,000, some say $64,000. But in addition to being um, arrested for bank fraud charges, she then attempted to convert the, the, the dollars, the cash, into cryptocurrencies to then provide them for ISIS sympathizers in the Asia Pacific Rim and the Middle East. Uh, we've got one conviction in the UK. Um, gentleman, Mr. Chowdhury was convicted uh, last year in Leicester of attempting to finance ISIS sympathizers again by using cryptocurrencies. So it's a very small number of cases, but the evidence provided, for example, by the Treasury Department, um, they've mentioned Al-Hassan Brigade, which is the military wing of Hamas, for example, we're working with Al-Qaeda, and ISIS on a sort of cybercrime sting, a fraud essentially that was worth $2 billion. So clearly, terrorists are able to adapt to new forms of legislation and to embrace new forms of technology. Okay, so we, we, we will see this continuing, I, I believe. Um, Nick, in terms of sort of current affairs globally at the moment, um, you would have seen that Lithuania have now classed Russia as a terrorist state. What implications does that have? And do you think this will um, actually move beyond Lithuania and will, will other countries start adopting this stance? Um, I think it's very brave of Lithuania. Um, I think that the concept of a nation state naming a country as state-sponsored um, terrorist organization or state-sponsored terrorism is nothing particularly new. Um, the Americans have used this as part of their US State Department list, and it's very controversial. They've been accused of geopolitics. Um, it's quite difficult, I think, under 
because of the lack of international definition of, of a terrorist, terrorism, act of terrorism, and also you then got the issues of proxy wars in terms of the politics involved, I would be very surprised if, if the Americans added uh, Russia to the state-sponsored list of terrorism, as we've seen recently with Finland and Sweden, stating their case to become members of NATO, then Turkey responding by saying they'll veto that block, and Russia obviously cutting off electricity supplies to, to Finland and neighbouring jurisdictions. Um, but, you know, we, we have seen reports of Russian involvement in acts of terrorism. We've got the um, attack in Salisbury. So it, it's it's a very fine line. And, and I'd, I'd be very surprised if any of, of the, the major allies who have been supporting Ukraine through arms and finance do declare Russia as a state sponsor of terrorism. I think that's probably a step too far for many of them, despite the, the evidence presented by multiple sources and obviously the ongoing investigations by the International Criminal Court in relation to, to sort of um, war crimes committed by Russian soldiers. Okay, so then um, moving on back, back onto the subject of crypto assets being used um, for purposes of terrorism or terrorist financing, um, are you aware of, of any cryptocurrencies or assets being used in the war in Ukraine? Um, I'm not aware of any, you know, there's been reports, suggestions in, in, in the press and, and online media, but, uh, you know, from, from a researcher's perspective, you need a little bit more to make accusations regarding um, crypto. I think, you know, what we have seen, of course, is the, the two sides of the coin here. Um, obviously, people providing payments for crypto to support humanitarian aid in Ukraine. I think there's a suggestion that maybe some Russian individuals or companies who have been subjected to sanctions by the UN and multiple states across the world, obviously in response to the invasion of Ukraine, could try to use crypto as a, as a mechanism to avoid sanctions. Um, I think that's intriguing that with the, the crypto crash and uh, sort of Bitcoin losing its value down to $30,000, I think as of as of the 17th of May, which is today. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if people are trying to, or have bought crypto previously in some attempt to avoid um, the sanctions regime. I think the intriguing developments have been in the Middle East recently, where Bahrain and the UAE are attempting to compete to become the crypto center of the Middle East. Um, so I think that's going to be an intriguing area in terms of a development in the next six to 12 months, maybe. So finally, then, where do you think the subject of terrorist financing and crypto assets will develop then going into the next 12 to 24 months? Um, I think we'll see more reported um, cases. I think we'll see more investigations by uh, the DOJ uh, and other law enforcement agencies across the world. Um, I don't think terrorists will stop using crypto. Um, I think as the more of a joined up approach between different nation states and the more private public partnership agreements in terms of investigating cryptocurrencies with the advance of blockchain technology. So I think it will reveal more and more um, allegations, maybe even, even prosecutions of of terrorism finance. And I think the intriguing thing would be is when crypto links into social media. And I think that's going to be a very intriguing area in terms of uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, you know, um, TikTok. I mean, I'm, I'm too old for these sort of things anyway, but you get my point is that sort of emerging and even online gaming, you know, we've seen terrorists will target individuals who are young people who might be radicalized online. So I think the technology will play a major part in, in terrorism financing, but you can't cannot forget very that the simplistic methods of how terrorists are financed, private donations, 
by committing low-level fraud, they will still be the bread and butter of how terrorists are financed. Or it might be, for example, other types of fraud, a racketeering, sale of antiquities, um, trade-based terrorism financing. So if you combine both of the, the new technology methods and the more traditional methods of financing, it presents a regulatory nightmare from anyone from a compliance perspective in terms of firms to comply with. But it creates that perfect storm that terrorists can exploit loopholes in technology, loopholes in terms of regulation. So uh, I think it's going to be a really fascinating, um, quite scary time period for law enforcement agencies to tackle terrorism financing. That's really interesting, Nick, and uh, thank you for that. And, you know, in, in podcast one and two, we touched on some of the subjects that you've just spoken about. So, you know, listeners can uh, catch up on those. And sounds like what you're saying is that, you know, be aware and cognizant of traditional methods, but new technologies will have a, uh, have a role to play, which include, but not limited to crypto assets. Thank you very much, Nick. And thank you everyone for great. listening. Thank you for listening to the latest Themis podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Themis, please visit our website at www.crime.financial.com.